The gang that had seized Jesus led him before Caiaphas, the chief priest. Peter followed at a safe distance until they got to the chief priest's courtyard. Then he slipped in and mingled with the servants, watching to see how things would turn out. One servant girl came up to him and said, You were with Jesus, the Galilean, in front of everybody there. He denied it. As he moved over toward the gate, someone else said to the people there, This man was with Jesus, the Nazarene. Again, he denied it. Shortly after that, some bystanders approached Peter. You've got to be one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he got really nervous and swore, I do not know the man. Just then, a rooster crowed. Peter remembered what Jesus had said. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He went out and cried and cried and cried. There are no excuses for what I did. I lived with Jesus. I saw him heal people. I saw him raise the dead. I, I held his hand and, and walked on water. Me, walking on water. I did all of that, but I still failed him. In front of him, I, I was ready to fight to cut off the ear of any soldier who would try to take him. But, but the moment he was in their custody, the moment I was tested, I failed. Then the rooster crowed and, and my world was surrounded in darkness. Jesus was dead and I had failed them, just like he knew that I would. There was no hope. There was no Tomorrow. You ever had somebody tell you you couldn't do something? I mean, like they just, you, you wanted to do something, you told them that that was your plan, and they told you you couldn't accomplish it? Like, oh, no, you can't hit a golf ball that far. It's impossible. No, I don't know why that's funny. But, you know, you can't, uh, you can't sing. You want to sing? No, you can't sing. No, you can't, you, you can't do that. Oh, you, you want to try to get, like, a scholarship to college? No, no, no. You, you're, like, I don't know if you've seen your grades. You're, you're, you can't do that. Like, you're not smart. Like, you ever had anybody tell you anything like that? Maybe not those specific examples, but something like that. Like, no, you, you want to do something, but you can't. Worse than that, I think, is somebody that says, yeah, go for it, but you're going to fail, and here's why you're going to fail. And they give you the excuses. Like, they tell you exactly why you're going to fail. It's like, oh, yeah, you, you want to, you wanna, you like, start, go back to school? Yeah, that's great. You go try that, but you'll never graduate. Oh, you want to try to lose weight? That's awesome. Go try that. I'll see you next week at the Mexican buffet because chips and sauce are your downfall. Like, you know this, right? Like, they tell you how you're going to blow it, how you're going to fail. You know, without the ill will and animosity of those people who want bad for you or who don't speak life into you, this is kind of the picture of a story of an interaction between Jesus and Peter. Today, we've got kind of Peter here sharing his side of, of, of the equation, but Jesus talks to Peter in Luke chapter 22, and he talks to him about what's going to happen in, in the next few hours. You know, Peter in his bravado, in his, hey, I, I'm, I'm a manly man, I'm, going to, I'm in it to win it, Jesus, I'm going to do this thing, right? I'm going to protect you, like I'll go to prison for you. Like if it calls for it, I will die for you, Jesus. And you know what Jesus says? 
No animosity here, no ill will. It's not like the people that speak you know, negatively into your life. Jesus looks at him, I think, full of compassion because he knows Peter. And he says, Peter, no, you're not, man. You're not going to go to prison for me. Like in the next few hours, you're not going to die for me. In fact, the opposite is going to be true in the same day that we're in right now. Like within the next few hours, you're going to have the opportunity to claim that you know me, to claim that you're a part of the tribe, the group that we've been walking around here with for a while. And you're going to have that opportunity and you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. Like we just kind of heard the emotion that's connected to that. But Jesus is saying to Peter, this is what's going to happen. And so they leave that moment. And a little while later, Jesus is captured and he makes his way towards the cross through kind of the trials or what should have been trials, but, but really weren't some religious ceremony things there. And he goes towards that, towards the cross. And the Bible tells us in several of the gospel accounts that Peter follows at a distance. And so he's in position now to do what he wanted to do. He's in position to defend Jesus. He's in position to kind of take advantage of the moment and be the guy, be the hero, be in it to win it. And he's, he's right in the right spot. But we read that three separate times, just like Jesus said, three separate times, he's confronted with, hey, are you the guy that walked with Jesus? Hey, you know, your accent kind of gives you away. I think you might be one of the guys that was with Jesus. And, and, and he's asked again. And, and I want us to read here in Luke 22, beginning in verse 60. What, what Peter says in response to the third inquiry about if he knows or if he has been with Jesus. This is what Peter says. He says, man, I don't even know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Verse 61, look at this. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Okay, so Peter, this guy that said to Jesus, this man that he loves. He says, Jesus, I will defend you. I will protect you. And then he gets three opportunities. He fails every one of those opportunities. And at the end of that moment, if you've seen Passion of the Christ, you've seen this scene and it's really powerful. If you've never seen it, let me just depict it for you, okay? Peter has the opportunity to respond. Yes, I know Jesus. Yes, I'm one of his disciples. Yes, I'm in this thing with him. Jesus is making his way towards the cross. He says no. And in that moment, the rooster crows and the Lord's face turns towards Peter and they catch each other's eye. And they both know that Peter blew it. Peter blew it. Can you relate? I can. I've blown it. I've messed it up. I've made mistakes. I had the best of intentions. Like I I set out with a really great goal. I wanted to do some amazing things. But when it really came down to it, I've blown it too. So let's keep reading. Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. How he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. So Peter walks away. Jesus continues to make his way toward the cross. Peter is left remembering what would be prior to the death of Jesus, his last kind of interaction with this teacher, rabbi, friend that he had spent the last three years with. Jesus goes to the cross and he hangs there and he dies. And he's taken down from the cross and he's put into a tomb. And for all Peter knows, that's the end of the story. 
the disciples. That's the end of the story, right? There, there's some authors that I read. They, they wrote a book. It's kind of a business book a couple years ago. Their names are Chip and Dan Heath. They're brothers. They wrote a book called Made to Stick. And in this book, Made to Stick, they talk about the curse of knowledge. Here's what the curse of knowledge is. What is two plus two equal? Okay, if you didn't answer four right there, someone needs to help you. Okay, I'm trying to make it one plus one. Anybody? There we go. The curse of knowledge is that now you know that two plus two equals four. It is impossible for you without some dramatic, drastic, like physical, something happens to you, something happens to your brain, there's trauma, something. It's impossible now for your brain to ever go back to a place that you don't know that two plus two equals four. It's a curse of knowledge. You have this knowledge and you're cursed by it because you can't get away from that knowledge. And see, here's the problem for many of us in the room today. We know when we read about the cross and we read about Jesus' death, we know that Sunday's coming. We know that today is Easter. We know that we get to celebrate just a few days later after this traumatic event. We know that Sunday's coming. He's going to resurrect. It's going to be powerful. We know it's coming. It's exciting. Woo, he's risen. He's risen indeed. Let's, you know, woo, let's celebrate. What do the disciples know? They see the cross. They see Jesus die. They see him go to the tomb. And what do they know? It's over. The story is over. I, I can't, I don't know what to do with this. What does it mean that what he taught us, man, now he's gone. There's nowhere for us to go. Where do we go? One of the gospels says that they just decide, well, let's go back to doing what we did before Jesus showed up. And they try to go fish and they don't catch a thing. Right? Because when you don't know what to do, you don't know how to keep moving towards the future. You tend to revert to your past. And they jump back into fishing because now what do we do? It, Jesus is gone. He's dead. The story is over. It's ended. We can't do anything else. The story is Very early on Sunday morning, as the sun rose, some women went to the tomb to embalm Jesus. They worried out loud to each other, who will roll back the stone from the tomb for us? Then they looked up and saw that it had been rolled back. They saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed all in white. They were completely taken back, astonished. He said, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene, the one they nailed on the cross. He's been raised up. He's here no longer. You can see for yourself that the place is empty. Now, on your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going on ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there exactly as he said. Then everything changed. Mary came. She she said that Jesus was alive, that, that he wasn't in the tomb, and that it wasn't over. An angel told her to, to come and tell the disciples, to tell me. He called me by my name. He said, tell Peter. I, I ran as fast as I could. I had to see it for myself. Jesus was alive, and he wanted to talk to me. <laughs> I, I had a second chance. I could be his again. The Christ, the Son of the living God, he wanted me. He forgave me. And my life was not over. And that, my friends, is just the beginning of the story. What happens next, what happens next is even more amazing.
now that we realized all that Jesus was, he began teaching us again. And suddenly, we could understand scripture like never before. He opened our minds and, and he promised us a power from on high, a power like we had never known. And as he blessed us, he was taken back up into heaven. But this time when he was taken, this time there was no sorrow, only rejoicing. And we went back to our cities and we worshiped there at Bethany and in our towns. And as we waited for the power that he had promised, it came. It came like you could never have imagined. We were speaking in other languages. <laughs> I was bold and I was alive and I was awake. Peter got a second chance. You know, we talked about, I mean, he knows with the cross that the story's over, except that because of the power of the resurrection, when you and I think the story's over, it's probably not. It's probably not. I mean, the resurrection, what it says to me, what it says to all of us is that we have a second chance. Some of this passage was in the video, but I want us to read this. This is in Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 3. Talking about the two women that went to anoint the body of Jesus. And listen to this in Mark 16. It says, And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he, that man, said, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. Then you will see him just as he told you. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. That seems redundant. Because Peter was a disciple. Go and tell the disciples. You could have stopped right there. And it includes Peter. But there's something that we need to know here in this telling and what the angel's saying to these women... And what you and I need to see in this story to understand how Easter even connects to our lives. Go and tell the disciples and the guy who's beaten himself up that he's blown it for the last time. Go and tell the guy who has been living in misery the last few days thinking that his life's over. The story has ended. Go and tell that guy that the story's not over. Go and tell the guy who thinks there's no hope. Who thinks there's nothing that he can do to change his story. To change the scenario of his life. Go and tell that guy. That because of Easter Sunday morning, the resurrection, the story is not over. And I think the same is true for you and for, for me. Because we kind of tend to think that when it gets the darkest, like it's just, it's dark and it's closing in. And sometimes we can get trapped there. But no matter how dark you think it is, that's not the end of the story. I ran across this quote from a great philosopher. My dad, not a great philosopher. This is what it says. It says, from the beginning of time until now, there has never been a night where there has not come a morning. Think about that. From the beginning of time until now, there has never been a night where there has not come a morning. The nighttime for Peter is this, I've blown it, I've made a mistake, my life's over, I let someone that I love down. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 5 tells us that Peter was the first one to see Jesus after he was resurrected. What was true for Peter is true for you and for me. And it's this very simple principle that if you and I could get into our lives, it would totally transform who we are. Failure is not final. Failure is not final. 
The same could be said of this, this idea that your greatest mistakes don't have to define you. Because in our culture, in our society, what we tend to do is we tend to label people by their greatest mistake. It's kind of their scarlet letter, right? You wear the letter, you wear the, the stigma of the worst thing that you've ever done. There's so-and-so, you know, they're an alcoholic. They lost it all. Couldn't control themselves. There's so-and-so, they had an affair. There's so-and-so, they're addicted to this. There's so-and-so, they got fired, they got laid off, they did this. They lost their family, they lost their house. There's so-and-so, they did this. This was their mistake. This was their thing. But guess what? Your greatest mistake does not have to define you. So Jesus appears to Peter. He appears to the other disciples. He teaches them more about the scriptures. The disciples then go to Jerusalem after Jesus ascends back to the Father. And they, and they wait there on the Holy Spirit that Jesus had talked about. And in Acts chapter 2, we see the fulfillment of the promise that he talked about with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit descends on this room there where they're waiting, they're gathered together, they're praying, they're believing for this power that, that Jesus said would come from on high. And so they're waiting on this power. The power of the Holy Spirit comes and they spill out of that room. They kind of go out into the streets. And because of the festival of Jerusalem in that time, all the nations of the world are represented there. And they begin to speak in other tongues. And then Peter steps up. This is in Acts chapter 2. You can read it for yourself. Peter steps up and he begins to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, he steps up and he just boldly kind of talks about repent and be baptized. Turn from your wicked ways and follow the ways, the teachings of, of Jesus. Right? And scripture tells us that 3,000 people were added to the church that day. Okay, so here's some easy math. I did 2 plus 2 earlier. If 3,000 people were added to the church then that means somewhere in the neighborhood, if it was a 100% conversion rate, like if 100% of the people that heard the message gave their life to Christ that day, that means there were 3,000 people or so listening to what Peter was saying, right? If the conversion rate was 50%, if only half of the people, then Peter was preaching, proclaiming to 6,000 people. If it was a quarter, it was like 12,000 people. And I'll quit doing math because I'll embarrass myself. But at some point you realize there's a lot of stinking people in Jerusalem that Peter's talking to, Right? So how do we get from this guy who denied Jesus three times? One of those times was to a little girl. No offense to any little girls in the room, right? He denies that he even knows Jesus to this little girl. And 50 days later, he proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ to thousands. How do we go from here to here? How do we go from... Fear, fear of what it's going to cost us, fear of what we're going to have to do, what's going to be asked of us, fear of failure. How do we go from that to boldly proclaiming what our lives are about? How do we go from, no, I don't know him, man, I don't know what you're talking about. That's not me. One version even says that he swore at the guy like he was so passionately against what they were claiming about him. He was like, that's not me. He made a mistake. He failed. He had to look Jesus in the eye and they both knew that he'd blown it. How do we get to this bold proclamation of the gospel? You know what exists between these two things? Resurrected Jesus. Resurrected Jesus. The power of the resurrection. Because what does it do? It proves to us that who Jesus said he was is actually who he is. It proves to us that it's not about your great mistakes. It's about relationship with him. 
You know, Jesus didn't go to the cross to make you religious. He went to the cross to make you alive. Right? Some of you have experienced religion. We, we've kind of grown up in religion. And I don't claim that this room could be void of that environment and that attitude. But religion is about you got to know how to behave. And then you got to know what to believe before you can belong with us. There's a formula and you have to know it. Like religion says there's some constraints here. And like the only way that you can belong, like the end result here is to belong to us. The only way you can do that is if you behave correctly. And then after you behave, you know what to believe. And then you belong with us. But see, the gospel is so counter to that. The gospel of Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ was about and what he called his disciples to, including Peter. He didn't say Peter. He didn't say other disciples. He didn't say, hey, come and and let me teach you what to believe. He didn't say, come so I can teach you how to live perfectly. He didn't say, come so you can be perfect. You know what he said in in Mark? I think it's chapter 2 or chapter 3. Mark, he says, come and be with me. He just wants you to be with him. The gospel is not about you got to behave and then believe so you can belong. Jesus actually calls you to belong so that you know what to believe and that belief affects how you behave. Some of us, we thought, man, I got to clean up the outside before I can come to Jesus. I got to get it all straight. I got to get it all right. I got to get cleaned up before because my behavior has to be perfect before I get there. And then when I get there, I've got to say I believe the same things as everybody, but so that they'll let me belong. It's the country club mentality. No, that's not this place. That's not the gospel. The gospel says, listen, you come and belong. There's a place for you here. And when you come here, listen, we're going to talk about what we believe. And we want you to wrestle with that. And when you, we want you to determine, hey, do I really believe that? And as you determine what you believe about the message of Jesus Christ, we believe that it affects the way that we live so that we live lives that honor God. I used this example in our first service today, and, and I don't know where it came from. I think maybe it's time for a dental appointment. But I said, like, we don't go to the dentist because we have perfect teeth, right? We go to the dentist because we got some boogered up teeth we need him to fix. Right? This is the same way we should approach Jesus. Like, I think some of us, like, have, you've never done this, I'm sure. Like, you never, ever did this. But, like, the day you had a dentist appointment, did you just brush your teeth, like, as hard as humanly possible? You'd be like, I don't want the dentist to see, and you're just scrubbing, scrubbing, scrubbing. No, what do we do? I just show up at the dentist. I'm like, hey, man, I'll be honest. I hadn't flossed in like a while. <laughs> I am so sorry. <laughs> like, I just want to belong here, whatever that means. And you tell me what I'm supposed to do. And then I'm going to try to figure it out when I leave here. That's a terrible example. But it's kind of, sort of, what the gospel says to us about a relationship with Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is not about this ritualistic you got to know what to do and what to believe before you can belong here. Now he says, listen, you come and belong. You come and be with me. And we're going to talk about what we believe. And you're going to be saturated with our beliefs and the things that we talk about and who we pray to and who we call on. And in response to that, we believe that your life will change. Jesus looked right at Peter at the moment of his greatest failure. But the resurrection gave Peter a second chance. The resurrection gives you and I a second chance too. And I wrote this down and I write stuff down specifically that I want to make sure I don't miss because I believe this is really powerful. 
The resurrection says to us that there's nothing more powerful than God. There's nothing more powerful than God. And for some of us, we don't get that. Because we think that our greatest mistakes are more powerful than God. And he could never forgive that. He could never use us. He could never see anything lovable in us again because of how we have totally messed it up. Not even death was more powerful. So for sure, your sin isn't more powerful. Not even death was more powerful. So for sure, your financial mistakes aren't more powerful. Not even death was more powerful. So your broken marriage or your relationships aren't more powerful. The sin you're contemplating right now, it isn't more powerful. The uncertainty of your future, it isn't more powerful. The resurrection proves that what you and I think is the end is probably not. That when you and I see this dead thing, this lifeless thing that we loved, that we thought was everything we should be about, when we see it come down off a cross and put into a tomb, we think that's the finality of the whole deal. Like it's over. End of story. Roll the credits. And I think in those moments, God is looking to you and I. Just like the angel that said to the woman, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Go and tell whatever your name is. Go and tell Jeremy that the story's not over. He thinks the story's over. He thinks it's over. He thinks he can't get past this worst mistake. He thinks he can't get past the big mess up. He thinks he can't get past the brokenness and the hurt and the pain. But guess what? The resurrection proves that what we think is the end is sometimes the beginning of something new. What we think is the end is sometimes the beginning of something new. For Peter, it was a new life and a new ministry to boldly proclaim the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And for some of you today, I believe that Easter Sunday needs to take on a whole new meaning for you. It shouldn't be about getting dressed up in your finest clothes. It shouldn't be just about, hey, I'm coming for an Easter egg hunt. It shouldn't just be about, you know, those peanut butter Reese's eggs, although that is an awesome part of Easter. That's not what Easter should be about for most of us. Easter should be about for most of us that we thought the story was over. We thought it was the end. And really, it's the beginning of something new. That today could be the turning point in your life. That today could be the day that you showed up thinking one thing. And when you walk out, you leave knowing something else. That you think it's dead, but it's actually alive. You think it's lost, but it's actually found. You think it's over, but it's just beginning. That's what the resurrection is. That's what the resurrection is. That's what Easter is. Easter proves to us through the story of Peter that God is a God of second chances. That God is a God of new beginnings. And so my challenge for all of us in the room today is that we don't live in this limited, finite understanding of thinking that our past has to define us. We don't live in the constraints of thinking that when the story should end, that it has to end there. We don't, we don't walk out of here thinking that there's no future, there's no hope for us. The resurrection proves that that's not true. And so there are two things today that I think 
for all of us in this room. One, some of you just need to realize the power of the resurrection in your life. That as a kind of a, a person that just walks around with just deadness inside of us. And I, I, got, I got dead things living in me. I, I've got some things I need to get out of me so that I can be fully alive. I need to awake. Awaken. I need to be wide awake. I need to live in the fullness. I need to see with clear eyes all that God has for me. You need to turn towards God today. You need to turn towards God. I want to read very quickly as we're kind of closing here from Luke 22. This is prior to Jesus telling Peter that he's going to fail. This is what he says in Luke 22. He says, Simon, Simon, that's Peter. Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And when you have turned back, what does that imply? That you're going to turn away. Right? Jesus knew. When you've turned away and then you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Some of you need to turn towards Jesus today. You need to turn towards him. You need to turn back towards him. For those of you that have been with him before, but you've walked away, turn back to Jesus today. That's Resurrection Sunday. Some of you, you've been living with the Lord. You're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you're, you're fully engaged. You're fully there. What is your job? To strengthen your brothers. To help those around you grow in the Lord. Right? Give instruction. Help disciple. Get them in environments like this. Strengthen your brothers. Let the power of the resurrection live in and through you. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody's looking around. And if you would say to me today, you know, Jeremy, listen, what you're saying, it sounds great. You know, I mean, that, uh, yeah, that, that makes sense to me, I guess. I want to speak to two groups of people here in this moment just before we pray. First of all, you say, hey, I, listen, I am not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I attend church maybe, maybe regularly. I serve, I'm in a life group possibly. Maybe I haven't been in church in a long time. Maybe I'm so far away from God, I don't even know how to get back. You say, hey, listen, I know I'm not in a relationship. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That all means all. It means everybody in the room and everybody outside of the room. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the same Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So like, while your sin is sinning and falling short of the glory of God, like while that's happening, before that happened, Jesus initiated his response to go to the cross. And so for some of you in the room today, you say, hey, I know I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. I need to ask forgiveness for the things that I've done. I need him to be the Lord and Savior of my life. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? You know that's you. You can put it right back down. Thank you. You can put it right back down. Thank you. You just know, hey, I I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. I know I'm not in a relationship. I'm in religion. I'm bound up by all kinds of ritualistic things, and I am in religion, but I am not in a relationship. If that's you, just lift your hand. Thank you so much. You can put it right back down. Second thing today for most of us in the room, probably, hopefully, is you would say, you know what, I, I've turned towards Jesus. I, I'm in a relationship with Jesus. But I don't know that the power of the resurrection is truly alive and living through me. I, I don't know that I'm strengthening the brothers and sisters around me. I don't know that I am 
kind of taking with me this God of second chances to the people in my life who are broken and hurting and afraid and lonely. I don't know that I'm taking with me the power of the resurrection. And I want to do that today. I want to make sure when I leave this place that this was not just a service and not just a moment, but this was me acknowledging that the power of the resurrection gave me a second chance. And I want to help other people know that that's possible through the power of Jesus Christ. Would you lift your hands? Thank you so much. You can put them right back down. Lots of hands. I want us to pray. God, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for the resurrection. We thank you for the power that raised Jesus from the dead. We thank you for the people today that lifted their hand and acknowledged that they need you in their life as Lord and Savior. That they say, I I know that I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't just need religion. I don't need to have to behave right and believe right before I get to belong. But God, I thank you that you allow us to belong with you. God, to belong in this place, God, as we learn to believe and learn to trust in you. But God, it starts with an acknowledgement that we need you. It starts with an acknowledgement that we want to belong with you. So, God, I thank you for the people that lifted their hands today. And I pray in this moment that they would just say, God, I need you. God, forgive me of my sins. Help me to be in relationship with you. God, for many of us, we lifted our hands to say, I want the resurrection power to work through me and impact the lives of those around me. God, all of us are the recipients of your grace and your mercy, whether we realize it to a full extent or not. And so today, God, I thank you. I thank you that many of us have turned toward you already. But God, now let us take the resurrection power with us when we leave this place and impact the lives of those we know and love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.